Welcome to the Storycraft Cafe. Come in, grab a cup of your favorite beverage, and get ready to join the storytelling conversation. Storycraft Cafe is brought to you by Dabble, the ultimate cloud-based fiction writing software. Here we're going to bring together storytellers from all walks to encourage and empower you to craft your best story. October is finally here, and in the writing community, we refer to the month before NaNoWriMo, or National Novel Writing Month, as Preptober. And to celebrate Preptober in the Storycraft Cafe, we are going to do a series of live shows where me and a group of other folks from the cafe are going to be joining in to look at how to prepare your writing software and to get ready for NaNoWriMo or to get ready to write a novel. You know, it doesn't have to be October when you decide to prepare to get ready to write a novel. We're going to go over things that will help anytime that the muse strikes or you just decide that you have a great idea that you want to pursue and get that story inside of you out onto words on the screen. So starting Wednesday, October the 4th, we are going to start our Preptober writing challenge in the Storycraft Cafe. Go to storycraft.cafe and you can join in while we do this live stream. We'll also be releasing these on our podcast channel. But if you want to join in live as we do it on YouTube, find the link at storycraft.cafe and come join us. Jump in and join all the shenanigans going on and share ideas with us. I can show you how to set up Dabble so that you can get started, but it's always fun when you have other people to bounce ideas off of and to, you know, let the creativity flow. Storycraft.cafe. Come join us, won't you? Now on to our show. And we are live here in the Storycraft Cafe. I am your host, Hank Garner, as always. And today I am super excited to have Kate Golden on the show with me. She has an amazing new release that just re-released yesterday. If you're hearing this live on October the 11th, it came out on the 10th, which was yesterday. The The first book in this new series is called A Dawn of Onyx, and it is the first book in the Sacred Stones series. Book two uh, is following up pretty quickly as far as, um, you know, traditional publishing, uh, you know, timeframes go, and it's coming out in the spring. So if you get into this book and you love it, you don't have long to wait for book number two to come out. I, I say that this book was re-released because Kate initially published it as an indie release and it took on a life of its own with, as it gathered a uh, an audience on social media and just really took off like wildfire. And as Kate is going to share with us, I'm sure in just a minute, um, you know, all of the hilarity that ensued that now brings us to uh, this major publishing release and, you know, followed up by sequels and all of that good stuff. Welcome to the show, Kate. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. <laughs> Uh, Kate, I love to start the show with a fun question to to kind of get us started. And one thing that I love to ask people is, what is your first memory of wanting to be a writer or storyteller? Oh, man, that's a great question. Um, 
first memory, oh, it's so embarrassing, but I feel like I have to go with the real first one. I, around like six, seven, eight, I wrote like princess stories that I then sold to my family. Like I made them buy them from me, (laughs) you know, I would like, they would have taken them anyway, but. So um, so you started indie publishing at an early age. (laughs) Yeah, I was quite the hustler. I set up like a little bookstore in my room. I'm like, this is the princess section. And that was the only section. (laughs) (laughs) The other sections are under construction. Yes, exactly. I love it. So did you have a supportive family? Did, you know, did they play along nicely? Yes, they they were rapid fans. They were like pre-orders and everything. Um, Yeah, they were. I come from like a family of um, both my parents worked work slash worked in the um, movie industry. So they love stories and storytelling. And, you know, um, yeah, they were really supportive. Interesting. So they both worked in the in the work in the movie industry, like on what side of the industry? My mom was a studio executive and then she okay. retired to have kids um, in like the eighties. And my dad is a, a producer still actually. Nice. So, yeah. so story um, was a formative part of, 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 of family life that, that had to be uh, wild having, you know, creative parents and being around the, the art of storytelling. I, I can only imagine. Yeah, it was, you know, it was really, to me, it was really normal. And then I sort of grew up and was like, that's not normal. But, you know, everything was always tied to, you know, great stories and film and television and books. And, you know, all the advice I get from my dad is like, well, this is why all the great stories are about this thing, because it's, you know, human experience. I'm like, dad, I just need advice on, you know, this work situation. He's like, well, you look at this, you know, it's Shakespeare. It's great tragedy. Like they're, they're so always talking about story. I mean, by the way, you have, I don't know if people can see us, but you have saved the cat on your shelf. I mean, I feel like they were telling me about save the cat when I was like a kid. I'm actually working on a video series on uh, the oh, save cool. the cat method. So that's, that's why it's sitting on my shelf there. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. It's great. A great resource that has helped me so, Absolutely. so, 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 you know, a lot of people, um, I I've done over 1500 author interviews over the last decade and you hear so many times that, that people give you advice about following a creative pursuit, but also have something to fall back on, you know, which is, which is not terrible advice, you know, because, um, you need to be able to pay bills, you know, that's, that's just a fact of life. And, and while we all want to pursue this dream, you know, that there are real life circumstances that have to be taken care of. Um, did you get that sort of traditional <laughs> advice from your parents having the, the kind of creative family that, that you come from? Yes, very much so. Um, and I'm really grateful to them because I think also the, you know, the experience that you get not only just, you know, working a a sort of day-to-day job, obviously, but, but having to do something while you having to do something to pay your bills while you pursue the thing you love, I think helps you do the thing that you love because you're meeting people and you're out there in the world. I mean, writing, creating can be a very solitary experience. You just get life experience. So yes, my, my parents were (laughs) very, um, 
very adamant that like I, I start working at a young age because it's what they both did. So I got my first job at like 15. I actually feel like maybe some of the like romance girlies who listen to this might recognize this, but my first job was working at a clothing store called Brandy Melville, which is now very popular. But at the time there was like one location and I worked there all throughout high school. And then, you know, always had like some kind of like, you know, sales associate job or I was a waitress or whatever, because I think, you know, it was, it was something that was important to my parents. And I'm really glad that um, they, they wanted that for me because I learned a lot from it. And then obviously now in adulthood, I also have a full-time job that I do while I write. (laughs) Right. Right. And there, there's something to be said about, um, the day job and the importance of, of it taking the pressure off of your creative expression. Um, you know, I, I, I feel like so many times we, we hate the, the day job. Um, you know, we were like, Oh, I can't wait to get rid of this thing so that I can be a free creative person, you know? And, and what, what we fail to realize is that the day job gives us the freedom to do that because we don't, it, we don't require this creative expression to, to carry all the weight of everything. And it can just be what it is. And, um, I, I I think there, there's too much pressure on dividing life up and, and this part of our life is at odds with this part of our life. And I don't, I don't know. That's, that's just something I've been thinking about lately. No, I think I actually, I feel like you've been sitting in on my, on my conversations <laughs> with my, you know, my husband and my friends. It's, it's so, so, so true. Um, you know, I think that there's some kind of pressure we put on ourselves that, you haven't really made it in your creative pursuit until it can pay for your life or, or your bills or your rent or whatever. But I, I think you're so, it's such an astute observation that as soon as that becomes the case, now the thing you love has to pay for your life. I mean, there's right. an insane amount of pressure on that. And I think it was Emily Henry in Beach Read. She wrote about how you know, writing is like the greatest thing ever. And then as soon as you're on deadline or as soon as somebody needs your next draft, it feels like doing tax forms or something. It's like suddenly all that pressure can strip, can not always, but like can strip a lot of the creative joy away. Um, Especially if you're like a really ambitious person, suddenly it's like, well, I have to be great at this because it's the thing I do for a living, not the thing that I do for fun or like a hobby, you know, or a thing that brings me joy. Um, You know, it's like there's now professional pressure to succeed or the, whatever the creative version of like getting promoted or whatever. Um, Yeah. But it's also hard because there's just not very, you know, there's not enough hours in the day. I don't know if right. like, you, but it's like, it's hard to, you know, if I could, I think I would do lots and lots of things because then everything would feel, right. there'd be less pressure on everything. You know? Exactly. Exactly. Um, I've, uh, of all the authors that I've met over the years, uh, I can probably count on two hands the number of people who held writing as a singular pursuit. Mm -hmm. Um, They knew from the time they were a teenager, I'm going to be a novelist. And then every decision that was made in life was to further that, uh, that pursuit. And, you know, they went to school and studied creative writing and, you know, immediately started writing novels and submitting them, you know, and it's just the only thing that they ever, um, you know, held as a possibility. And those are a, a, 
a vast minority. Most people I've discovered have kind of a circuitous route, you know, to that brings them to to writing. And, you know, you go over and you collect some life experience over here and you meet people over here and relationships and, and not that we do things to collect experiences that we will, you know, use in our novel, but they just happen, you know, and you're just, you're just filling up your writer toolbox all the time. Um, do I understand correctly that when you first started writing your first novel, um, this was not something on your mind at all, but was kind of a challenge from your uh, fiance boyfriend, who is now your husband. Do I have that right? Oh my God. Yeah. Wow. You, you have it totally right. I, I didn't even know you knew that. Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I absolutely fall not into that category. Those 10 fingers. Um, I wrote those books like as a kid, I did a lot of creative stuff as a kid, just as I think a lot of kids do is, you know, fun and would make home videos, whatever, never actually yeah. thought I would write, never went to school for it, never took a creative writing class. Um, but I loved reading, still love reading, obviously. Um, and yeah, it was a weird, I was on a vacation with my then fiance and had brought, you know, as you do on like a beach vacation, I'm not good at just like sitting still. So I brought like 15 books. Sure. Like, I'll read all these books on vacation. Right. And it was just one of those like weird things. I started a bunch of chapters and like couldn't get into any of them and was venting about it at dinner. Like, I don't like any of my books. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> it's like so stupid. I don't know. It's like, we've all been there. It's like, I just we've all been there. Yeah. <laughs> and my, um, fiance was like, well, you know, you love story and you work in, you know, a story related field, you know, for a living. Why don't you write the thing that you want to read, you know, just for you. And I just thought it sounded fun and I didn't really like have a book to read. So I thought, okay, I'll do that on vacation. And I, I totally felt like head over heels in love with it. It was the most fun thing I'd ever done in my life. I love it. So, so walk me through the process. How did you start? Did you, did you just start pantsing a story and pulling things out of the ether? Did you start trying to construct a, a plot? Uh, like where did your mind go in the beginning when, when you kind of received this challenge? How, how do you begin? Where, where did it start? Totally. Um, well, definitely not pantsing. I don't think I've done anything spontaneous ever in my life. Not once. So this is honestly trying to write a book was probably the closest I've ever come to that. Um, but no, no pantsing. I, um, I'm trying to think the first thing I think I did was I was talking about, okay, here are the things that make me love a book. You know, what are, okay. what are the sort of some tropes, but also just like the type of characters, the type of tone, you know, what are the things that make up that all my favorite books have in common? And then what are things that I never see that I wish that I did, you know, what am I looking for, but I can never seem to find. And I tried to just like, I think I made a list of all those things. And then I tried to, you know, back my way into what kind of story would allow me to get all of these things for myself. Um, and then once I had that, the story kind of started coming together, you know, it, it was like, I had the, I actually had the plot first and the characters second, which is not, I think normally how most, at least from the, you know, podcast interviews I've listened to or read, you know, how most writers find it, but it was sort of a weird way of getting into it. So I had the plot, then I sort of found the characters. Then I did like a really hefty outline and kind of thought maybe it would end there. That like, once I had the outline, I'd feel like I had read my story and I would go back to being a reader. Um, but then once I had the outline, I just like wanted to write it so badly. So that's what it did. 
What was the, you said the, the plot came to you first. Um, so I'm, one thing that I'm fascinated by is where stories begin. Uh, yeah. Because in, in one moment, um, a dawn of Onyx does not exist in, in any form or fashion. But then you start maybe playing the what if game and, you know, well, what if this happened? And and I love how you said um, that you, you took tropes that you loved, but then thought of elements that, that maybe you didn't see and would like to see. And, um, one thing that I think uh, new writers especially kind of get lost on is if you start talking about tropes and and things that, you know, story structure things. And they, you know, a, a lot of people will say, well, you're just you're taking all the fun out of it, you know, and by by trying to identify, you know, the things that you need. And it just it's going to become formulaic. But there are things that that make story story, but it's what it's the new things that you bring to it that really set it off. Um, so I love that you said that that was just a, a side note that I just wanted to mention. Um, yeah. But, you know, so maybe you start playing the what if game and you start saying, you know, well, you know, I, I, I like stories like this, but what if this happened? And then somewhere in that process, uh, a character walks onto the stage of your mind and you start kind of casting this plot with people that just show up out of the ether or whatever. And then at some point in that process, uh, a dawn of onyx does exist. And then it's your job as the writer to, to dig it out and excavate it and dust yeah. it off and polish it up and, you know, and then bring a book, you know, into the world from that. So what was that first moment of creation like for you? I love the way you described that. That's so, so accurate. Um, that, like that's exactly what the experience feels like. Um, so when I, you know, as you said, you know, feeling like it started with the plot for me, that was because so many of these books that I loved started with that beauty and the beast, Hades and Persephone. It's the girl that ends up, you know, trapped or captured or stuck with this man who is, seems like one thing to the rest of the world, but either he's always been something else and she finds that, or he becomes something else from being with her. You know, it's like that, that story I always love. And I think that's why a lot of, you know, there's so much popularity now around the morally gray hero or the villain sure. that is off for the girl. I think there's something, you know, that's really what I love. So I was like, okay, how can I take a girl and plop her somewhere that she can't, you know, leave with somebody who seems very villainous, but of course would, you know, do anything for her at some point. And that, so that was sort of like the, the structure that I loved that I wanted to, to emulate or imitate the sort of original part, or at least it, it felt original to me was, and I hope this isn't like a, an overshare. Um, but I have anxiety. I suffer from these like terrible panic attacks I have since I was really young. Um, and I never see that in, you know, it's like these book heroines are like, they're so strong. They're like being beaten and they're kept in cages and they're, you know, using their powers and they're, they never break a sweat. And I always feel like, man, I couldn't, I would have a panic attack. I would not right. be able to, right. you know, handle any of this. And I rarely felt like I was reading books where the heroes, you know, or the heroines had the, the anxiety that I had. And, you know, I've, I've been to a lot of therapy and I've gone to cognitive behavioral therapy and what, you know, is a sort of common understanding about panic attacks. Is it's just like, it's a surge of adrenaline, which mm -hmm. your body is actually creating 
to protect you. Your body thinks that something is wrong and it's giving you the fuel to obviously to fight or to flee and protect yourself. So even though you feel like, man, I'm so weak, I'm so afraid, your body is actually very strong. It's trying to take care of you. And I liked that idea that like I could have a heroine who has anxiety and suffers from panic attacks from, you know, childhood trauma, from whatever, but actually that that could be tied in the long run. I don't think this is a spoiler. This is, you know, whatever. Yeah to her inherent power to like something that she doesn't quite know about herself yet, but over the course of the trilogy becomes what makes her strong and unique and powerful. And I, that I sort of liked that. And I personally, a lot of my anxiety, I get very claustrophobic. So I'm like, man, if I was a prisoner, if I got taken prisoner by, you know, a beast or a Hades character or whatever, right. I would feel trapped. I feel very anxious. So that was sort of how the story came about is that like, I had this image of this girl who had, you know, panic disorder, like I did in the dungeon of a wicked guy. And then I got to combine the two things I, I was interested in. So that was sort of, and then at that point I was like, okay, now I have my girl. She's kind of sheltered. She's not your average, you know, ass kicking Katniss Everdeen hero. Maybe she'll get there hopefully, right. but she's not there when we start. And that was sort of like how the, the story, that was the moment of inception. Well, uh, sometimes I, I, I completely agree with with what you said about um, the the need for relatability in characters, because um, sometimes the challenges that you give a character um, define them even more than their than their powers or their, mm-hmm. you know, the thing that um, it, it's it's how we deal with those. And if by giving our characters believable challenges and hurdles and things that they have to, um, you know, succeed in spite of or maybe uh, because of um, that, that's what makes characters memorable. And that's what makes readers fall in love with characters. So I think it's really cool that early in the process, this was resonating with you and and that, that you knew there had to be something for readers to hold on to. Um, how long did this kind of planning process take um, before you realized, okay, well, I've got a, a pretty well fleshed out, you know, skeleton to this story. Now let me start writing it. How, how long did that planning and pre-writing phase take? I think I did the whole outline on like the, you know, six days we were on vacation. <laughs> I, oh, like, wow. I, but I also, it was like, so I felt really obsessed and was like waking up early on my laptop and, you know, I was, I, I was totally hooked. So I think I, I did the outline then and, you know, not to go back to the save the cat thing, but that, you know, story structure is a, a big part of what I do for, for a living. So it felt like some of the stuff I I was like, okay, I'll find my midpoint and I'll get my, you know, what's my big third act conflict going to be? And how do I relate that to my inciting incident? All that stuff that was sort of like, not so tricky. It was the, you know, when I got back from the vacation and I had this sort of outline going in and making sure that, you know, all all my character beats working and my, you know, um, character arcs were strong enough and that it was creative enough. I mean, that was the hardest part for me. You know, I knew I wanted something really, you know, 
really dangerous to happen here. And I had all the versions of the books I had read, but then I wanted to come up with my own version. And I'm, I didn't think I was a writer then. So I was like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. So those, that probably took me another like couple weeks once I got home, you know, filling in the gaps, places I'd left blank where I knew what I wanted to happen, but I hadn't come up with it yet. And I honestly, I listen to a lot of podcasts on writing and, and, um, there's like a lot of, you know, Brandon Sanderson has like his whole class he's taught on YouTube. I that whole thing. And what I learned was that if you're, well, I don't know if this is true, but I found it true for myself. If you're trying to just pull something out of thin air, you've already, like, you've already missed a step in which, you know, if you're trying to come up with what creature, you know, does this thing, you're not supposed to be able to just think of something that should be born out of your world, your characters, the the kind of setup you're already in. And so I would have to go back and then I'd be able to go forward. That probably took another like three weeks or so. Then I was able to just like, on. <laughs> we, we talk a lot about the gift of anonymity, uh, especially mm-hmm. in the beginning, um, because you the way you describe this, there's so much joy that just sounds like it comes from just the the process of discovery. And, you know, th- this was not something that there was any pressure on. This was just something you did because you wanted to do it because you love story and you just wanted to do it and there were no expectations on it. And, uh, you, you brought up, uh, Brandon Sanderson. He has been on the show before and and we talked about, um, that he wrote 13 novels before he ever got published. And, and, uh, I asked him, well, what do you think would have happened if you never got published? And he said, well, my kids would have inherited my house when I died and there would be novels stuffed in every closet everywhere that I had just written because I was going to write whether anyone bought them or not. You know, it's kind of like, uh, some people go to the YMCA and play basketball a couple of nights a week and we don't ask them when they're going to start playing for the NBA. They just, it's just what they do for fun, you know? So that, that gift of not having any pressure on it and just writing for the love of it. Um, at what point did you realize, okay, I think I've got something here. This is, this is an actual book with a, uh, with a story arc and, you know, it, it looks like it has series potential. Like when did you start taking this thing, you know, from just, this is a, a fun thing I'm doing to, I think I might have something here. Um, yeah. I just want to say really quickly, that is so, um, you've so hit the nail on the head on that experience, like the way you described it, how, and I I guess Brandon did as well, like the joy when they're, when it's just yours and nobody knows. And that, you know, I'm new to this. I haven't done a lot of these, but I've just like, I'm so it's a very cathartic feeling when someone can articulate this thing that you've been experiencing, you know, for so long. Um, but that was ex- exactly to a T what it felt like. And I said that to the only person who knew was my husband or my fiance. And I said that to him, I was like, I didn't think I'd ever share with that with anyone. So I said to him, you know, I hope, you know, I'm just going to be doing this for the rest of my life. I'm just going to be <laughs> writing. Because the only person who's going to read them are you, um, or is you, uh, I think the shift for me was, I'm trying to remember. I mean, I I knew it was going to be a trilogy when I was outlining it because there was too much story to tell. And I also, I like a trilogy and I wanted to end on a cliffhanger. Not that that's a spoiler. You'll see that in reviews, (laughs) but that's how I liked it. So that I knew, I knew the whole trilogy and I knew how I wanted the books to end then. Um, 
I think what happened was I wrote it and I was too, I didn't even want to give it to my husband. I was like, what if it's terrible? And then I put you in the position of having to lie to me. Like I didn't (laughs) want to do that. So I found like an anonymous, you know, on Reddit, there's like a subreddit for beta readers where you just find, you know, lovely internet strangers who for free will just read your book. It's like the kindest place ever. Um, And I just wanted someone to tell me if it was atrocious or not. And you know, had a handful of people read it who were so kind and so, um, their, their feedback was really thoughtful and they were really complimentary and they said, you should try to publish this. And I think that was when something shifted for me. And actually that group of people, they still read. I, they actually are reading the third book right now. Oh, <laughs> I love it. Like, I love and they were really, you know, it was like a bunch of kindred spirits and a really lovely group of people. Um, but yeah, they, they said this might be something. And then, at that point, I was like really addicted to book talk, as I think a lot of people were. And so I made a couple little teasers of like scenes from my book and they just sort of got a ton of views and people were saying, when does this come out? And I'm like, come out. <laughs> this is in my brain. What do you think? <laughs> um, and then I guess I had to sort of figure out what to do. That was sort yeah. of so you initially indie published this book and, uh, and, uh, indie publishing, uh, has, uh, you know, is, is having a moment. Uh, well, it's, it's been having a moment for the last yeah. decade, uh, ever since the Kindle revolution really is the, when Amazon and Amazon KDP sort of leveled the playing field in a lot of ways and, and gave people the opportunity to get stories out there that maybe haven't had an opportunity yet. And, we can debate the ups and downs and the, the pros and cons of indie versus traditional publishing. And, and uh, my idea is that they're both absolutely valid and they have different places. And, um, you know, they're people can choose which one uh, they want to do for any number of reasons. And, and, you know, you or I, or or whoever is not here to judge, um, you know, somebody's choice. Uh, But um, you, you had a very, a particular experience. You indie published this book. You started uh, gaining an audience on social media, like we said. And um, there came a point where it was just kind of overwhelming um, the 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 whole process. And you know, one thing we don't think about when you indie publish is that you are everything in the process. You are mm-hmm. the writer. You are the editor. In, in a lot of cases, I mean, they're. they're Lots of editors you can hire, um, but you are uh, the publisher. You you wear all of these hats. What what was that experience like? Oh man, it was really hard. <laughs> <laughs> it was. I, I mean, this is. I I don't know. This is not going to paint me in the in the most fantastic light. But I I actually chose to indie publish because I thought it would be easier, which was foolish and probably lazy. <laughs> but I definitely learned my lesson. <laughs> I, I was like looking down the barrel of querying my book and it just seemed like the most difficult experience that it was going to take me years. I honestly was really, I was really fearful. It would strip the joy out of it. Cause I, I think a lot, lot of people have those same fears. Yeah, I, you're right. And I didn't know that. And I didn't have any, I, none of my friends or family knew I was doing this. I was only everything, you know, it's like when you feel sick and you web MD it and it's like, you're dying. That was my <laughs> right. experience. Anything I feared, I would just Google. And then you have a ton of people saying, Oh yeah. my God, it's been horrible. You know, whatever. So I, I felt 
afraid and was like, well, if I just indie publish it, you know, the, the world will decide for me, you know, whether they like it or not. Yeah. Um, and then obviously I learned that as that exactly as you said, it's really difficult, not only marketing your own book and being your own publicist and making all of the, you know, Instagrams and the ads, but also the actual, you know, formatting of the book and the covers yeah. and the maps. And I mean, it's, it's a huge amount of work. I have so, so, so much, I mean, appreciation for the authors that some of my favorite authors that do that full time, that just are yeah. full authors. Um, it's an enormous amount of work. Um, yeah. So that, that was, it was very tough and really hard to do with a full-time job, which I know a lot of these indie authors have as well. Um, yeah. and at a certain point, I think what, what, brought me into traditional publishing was that I was just getting too many. Um, there were like too many incoming calls about, or like emails about, you know, my, an audiobook or like foreign translation. And I didn't know how to do those deals myself. And I didn't really know what or how to go about, you know, saying yes to certain people or no, or book boxes, whatever. I ended up reaching out to a friend who worked in publishing and asked her like, are these things real? What do you think? And she was like, we got to get you an agent. So that was how that happened. So you, you came to traditional publishing because you had a need for, to get other people involved. It sounds like, um, yeah, I had actually, I had been someone from a, um, publishing house had reached out to me and asked for the manuscript. And that was actually the one where I sent it to a friend and said, should I just send this person my manuscript? And she said, Oh no, you need an agent first. You can't do your own deals. So that was sort of, how I ended up getting an agent and then, and then it sort of went from there. Gotcha. So, uh, the book is republished, um, by Berkeley. Yeah. Is that right? And just came out yesterday. Um, what was, uh, so you have a finished manuscript, you have a book that people have read and now Berkeley says we would like to republish this book. How do you take an existing book that, that has a, you know, I don't know what size audience that you had, but, but you had people that were attached yeah. to this book. Um, wh- what's that process like to, you know, when, you know, now you're going to bring it into a publishing house and what, what happens from there? Yeah. I mean, Berkeley was so wonderful. It, it was like, it was like a fairy godmother, a publishing fairy godmother. <laughs> they were really supportive of what was important. The only thing that really mattered to me was that I had people, I published it in December of 2022 and had told a lot of readers book two is coming. It's coming, you know, in the spring, it's coming in the summer. And I had been writing it and I felt like a monster, you know, telling them actually (laughs) a couple years, like that would have been for me so devastating if I had read a book and liked it and then had to wait forever. So Berkeley was like, okay, we can get it out by April of 2024. And I think all these conversations happened like January of this year. So that felt like only a year away, a year and some change. It was like the following spring didn't feel so terrible. So that was, you know, they were like, we're going to do that. And then we're going to release the third book later in 2024. So all books will be out by the end of next year. And that also felt like a a win for an audience that was going to have to wait longer for the second one. Um, so once, so that was sort of like the thing that I was the biggest hurdle. They didn't really want to make edits to the book, which I would have been totally game for, but that was also, you know, encouraging. Um, obviously it went through copy edits and proofreading, which I had, I had had like a proofreader, a really wonderful proofreader that I had found, um, online, but like I hadn't had, um, 
somebody go through in sort of the same way. So that was really helpful. And then, you know, there was like, they, they redid the cover, which was cool. They did, they kept the same sort of heart and soul of it, but gave it sort of a shiny new makeover. And then, um, and then we jumped into book two. So I already had my manuscript of book two written. So I sent that to them. And then my editor, um, at Berkeley, who was like an incredible genius, um, jumped in at that stage to fully, you know, give me revisions. And I went into the editing process and, um, so that one will be like really a Berkeley original that has gone through the whole traditional publishing process. You said that the the first book didn't go through any real uh, structural edits, but book two did. Um, yes. Do did you did you see that there were? Um, I, I guess what I'm asking is in in book two because now it's it's a it's a a book of its own, but it also attaches to book one. It has to leave things open for book three. It's a, it, it's an it's an entity of its own, but it's more than that because it's a it's a piece of a of a bigger whole. Also, was the editing process in in light of those situations? You know, not only is it a book, but it also has to. You know, it's a bridge between. Uh, you know, right in the middle of a trilogy. Did the trilogy aspect? Did that bring? editing challenges or things that that you hadn't really thought through or maybe did, did the editing process help you um, conceptualize the whole thing better like like what did you get out of the editing process in light of it being a trilogy yeah that's a great question um, I was really glad to have a teammate honestly that's sort of one of the great things about having an, an editor um, that you trust because there were so many big questions, you know, things were in chapter one of the second book. I'm like, do I have to say this to lead up so that in chapter 36 of the third book, this makes sense, you know, all those kind of things. It's really helpful to have other people thinking about it too, because you're bound to, you know, (laughs) make a mistake or have to fix something in the proofreading process. Um, I think also in some ways, having an editor and and going through that was helpful because it it took pressure off. There were times where I'm like, I got to set this up now. So people know it's not retcon, you know, so people know that I was thinking about it and she's like, it's too much information. Give your reader some credit. Like they can wait until the third book to learn this. And that was actually really helpful because I think we ended up cutting the second book down by, I I don't know, almost like 20,000 words, which was very necessary because it was long. (laughs) It was way too long. Um, so yeah, it was, it was really helpful. Um, and I think just in general, it's, it was an incredibly helpful process having an editor because, um, I think my biggest struggles that I tend to rush, I sort of, I know what I want it to be and I just want to get there. And I think it's helpful having someone else say slow, 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 (laughs) slow down here, add more here, give your reader a chance to get there. Cause I'm always like, you know, I know what's right. going. Let's just go there. Right. You know, and so in the in the when you think of a trilogy, you want to do that all the time because I'm like, I know where it's going. Anyway, so it was it was very helpful. Yeah. Well, and also the um the type of book this is with a uh, fantasy uh fantasy romance, yes, but in in fantasy, one of the hallmarks of that is is world building, and yeah. um one reason people love to read fantasy is because they want to fall into a world and and just experience all the all the detail, all the lushness of this and that. And, um, you know, it's just one thing that we fantasy readers love. And, um, 
slowing down when, especially when you have a, a plot driven story where you know where you want to go, but giving people that experience that one of the reasons they come to fantasy, um, that's a, that's a tough thing to balance sometimes where I want to get there, but I want to give the readers everything they come to it for. Totally. Oh my gosh. Totally. And, and especially when, you know, the world building, I think is the hardest, it's the hardest part for me for that exact reason. It's like, you know, if you were to try, I'm not even going to go with that example. That was too convoluted. (laughs) You know, it's like, it's a world I know, like the back of my hand. And I have to constantly remind myself that my reader doesn't know it like I do, you know, so I'll just use a word. And then I'm like, Oh, I should probably tell them what that means. (laughs) Yeah. So, so book one's out now. Book two comes out uh, after the first of the year. What's the, the what's the title of book two? Uh, a Promise of Parado. A Promise of Parado. Do we have a title for book three yet or is yes, it still in I the works? I don't think I can share it. Okay. All right. It has well, not been announced yet, so I'm going to, I don't want to get in trouble, but, gotcha. it, but I'm sure we'll be sharing it soon. <laughs> gotcha. Um, the, the, the series title is the Sacred Stone series. Um, what does that title allude to? So um, all of the kingdoms in this land are based around different gemstones. Um, The sort of lore is that that is what these people believe created their earth is like the core is made up of all these different stones that are like worshiped like gods. Gotcha. Well, Dawn of Onyx has re-released now. It's available everywhere. Go visit your local bookstore, pick up a copy of it. Um, if you don't have a great local local bookstore near you, God forbid, uh, but we're going to put links in the show notes this episode where you can grab it from uh, from Amazon. Uh, Kate, I have not gotten a chance to listen to the audiobook yet. Have you? Yes. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> it, it's they in my queue. Exactly it's it, well. it's coming up and it's uh, it's going to be one of the next ones I listen to. So I'm excited to re-experience this book again. Um, at, what What's the audiobook experience been like for you to, to kind of hear your story interpreted by someone and, you know, to kind of embody the story? That's sometimes a pretty surreal experience. It is totally a surreal experience. It, this is really cheesy, but I, when I first, when my producer first sent me the finished audiobook, they're like, okay, it's done. I, I said to, um, a friend of mine, I was like, if nobody likes this book, if nobody reads it, if it just disappears into the ether, I am just so grateful that, you know, I got to write something that I can't stop listening to. Like it, it doesn't feel the same as reading your book. Cause obviously yeah. you know, you've been through so many edits, you've read it a hundred times, but hearing someone else tell the story and, and Ruby and Joe did the most spectacular job. They sound just like how they sound in my head. Um, it, it's, it was incredible. It was really special. So fun. So fun. A Dawn of Onyx available everywhere. Now go grab your copy. Uh, get ready for book two, A Promise of Peridot coming coming up not too long. Um, April, we can do it. <laughs> Kate, if, uh, if folks are just discovering you and want to dig into all the great stuff that's coming up, is there a place online where they can follow along for upcoming news and anything uh, new coming out? Yeah, um, I'm on Instagram, um, Kate Golden author. I'm on TikTok, same thing, but with, um, underscore Kate, underscore golden, underscore author. Um, and 
they, yeah, I think, I guess I have a website, Kate Golden Books. I realize they should all be the same, but they're not. <laughs> <laughs> you know, sometimes it just works that way. Um, but we'll, we'll link up all those places in the show notes to make it easier for folks to find you. Um, a Dawn of Onyx, go grab it today. Kate, this has been so much fun chatting. Thank so you so fun. much for being generous with your time today. Thank you so much for having me. This was wonderful. That's our episode for today. There's so much more to come as we talk to authors about the craft of writing, but also the business of publishing. Be sure to subscribe to the StoryCraft Cafe podcast in your favorite podcast app so that you never miss an episode. The StoryCraft Cafe is made possible by Dabble. Writing a book is challenging. Your writing tool should not be. Dabble is an easy-to-use online writing tool packed with helpful features that allow beginning novelists and published authors to create amazing stories. Visit us at dabblewriter.com and start your free trial today. Thanks for listening.